A lot going on this week with the uh, fair, the 4-H fair happening here in Elkhart County. And uh, all of you that were involved in the uh, parade last week as a part of the Grace Float, man, great job. Uh, I was actually out of town. I didn't get a chance to be a part of it. Something my family always looks forward to. We, we miss it this year. But it just sounds like from the pictures and the stories that I've heard that it was just an incredible uh, chance to touch our community and, and reach people. And so if you were involved in that, just great job, Grace. It was just fantastic and awesome. And a lot of you guys were involved in the fair um, this week. Uh, I always remember the 4-H fair when it comes up as, uh, the, as it's kind of a reminder of me when we started at Grace this weekend. Today starts our eighth year for Tara and I here at Grace Community Church. I never thought I'd make it this long, you know, working for Jim, but somehow the God's given me strength and been able to endure. And, um, and so we're excited for what God, you know, has done and what he's going to keep doing in the future. But yeah, whenever it comes to the fair, that's what I think of um, because our very first weekend here, we were unpacking our stuff and some guys from Grace were helping us move in. And one of them says to us, you guys got to go check out the fair tonight. And we're like, what is the fair? You know, we're from, we're from the East Coast and big cities and Philadelphia is my hometown and we don't have 4-H there. And so uh, not really sure, you know, what's going on. And, and, and so anyway, but they said, you got to go check it out. It's definitely a big part of Elkhart County. You, you don't want to miss it. So we pack up our kids. And the time Ellie was a toddler and Ethan was just a baby, just a few months old. And, uh, and we didn't even have Elisha yet. And so we took our kids and we go to the fair um, that Friday night. And uh, we, we're, we're driving in and we're seeing all these cars. And we're like, wow, like, this is big. Like, this is huge. Like, this is crazy. You know, all these people are coming to this fair. And we're, we're seeing all the people. And I'm like, can you believe this? Like, they must do this every weekend. Like, this is like what they do here in Elkhart County. Like, I can't believe this. this is kind of what Tara and I are saying to each other. Like, wow, we didn't know about this. You know, when we moved, we moved here. And then we're coming in. And of course, when you walk in and you turn left there at the, at the entrance of the gate, the first thing you walk past is that cowboy hat store, right? That one that's right there on the left, the cowboy hats. And I'm like, everybody's coming out wearing a cowboy hat. And I'm like, where did we move? Like, is this Texas? Like, everybody wears cowboy hats. They have a fair every weekend. Like, this is crazy. I, what in the world did we get ourselves into? This is not what we thought we were, you know, where we were coming. And so that was kind of, when I think of the fair, that's what I think of. That was our first experience at the 4-H fair. Our kids are involved in 4-H now. Although I'll never, I don't think we'll ever be like um, animal type 4-H people. Like, if you know me and you're my friend, you're like, yeah, that's a good idea, John. Like, you're not, you know, very good with lots of things, especially animals. And so, um, so, so definitely not, not what we're we're going to probably be doing. We're like, kind of like the arts and crafts type 4-H people. And so, you know, whatever gets us the free tickets, right? Uh, and so that's, that's, uh, that's why, that's what we're doing. So we get to the fair. We got there a couple times this week. It's a, it's a good time. But believe it or not, there actually was some news that happened this week outside of Elkhart County, if you can believe that. And uh, one of the big stories that's happening around the, the, the country is from my, my home state in Pennsylvania. And so I've been following it since it broke in November. And that is the Penn State football scandal. And this past Monday, another story, another chapter in the story came out as the NCAA gave these huge, huge penalties to the Penn State football program. And if you've not followed this story, um, back in November, it broke. Penn State is one of the biggest powerhouse college football programs, you know, for the last half century. Hall of Fame coach Joe Paterno been there, was there 64 years Incredible program. Lots of people, you know, hold it up as, as like the one that you should model because they do things the right way. And then in November, it was broke that one of their longtime assistant coaches, a man named Jerry Sandusky, was found guilty of, of, of sexually abusing at least 10 different boys during that time while he was at Penn State. 
even using his, using his prestige as a Penn State football coach, you know, to kind of lure these boys in, taking them on trips to bowl games and stuff like that. And um, this past week, um, the NCAA stepped in and announced it was penalizing Penn State's football program for the knowledge that they had of this and covered it up. The NCAA imposed, this is, I'm reading this, imposed sweeping penalties on Penn State, among the most ever imposed on an NCAA member's school, including a fine of $60 million, a four-year postseason ban, no bowls for the next four years, and took away all of their victories from 1998 until 2011. The Big Ten Conference then also imposed an additional $13 million fine. We all know that sin leaves a wake larger than we intend. We all know that. That's not the point that I want to get at today. That this Penn State story is an incredible example of that because lots of people are hurting from what went down. But I want to focus just for a moment on the leadership there at Penn State because the environment that they created is, is what allowed this man to get away with this wickedness. His superiors, it appears, because they did not want to hurt the football program, turned a blind eye to this man's actions instead of reporting him immediately. Listen to a few paragraphs from an article this past week that was in the Harrisburg Patriot. That's a, a big newspaper paper in Pennsylvania. It wrote, even after the November arrest of Sandusky, who was the architect of Penn State's ferocious defenses and Joe Paterno's one-time heir apparent, many were hesitant to put too much blame on Coach Paterno or let his one failing outweigh all of his good deeds. Paterno acknowledged before his January death that he should have done more after a then-graduate assistant had told him that he had seen Sandusky assaulting a child in the Penn State showers in 2001. But he insisted that he had no knowledge of any accusations prior to that. However, the stark horror of the subsequent investigation that has been done is impossible to ignore. A firm hired by university trustees to investigate how the scandal happened found that Coach Paterno and three other administrators, the president, Graham Spanier, the athletic director, Tim Curley, and the vice president, Gary Schultz, repeatedly concealed critical facts relating to Sandusky's child abuse. Handwritten notes and emails portray Paterno as being involved in a decision by the officials not to tell child welfare authorities about a 2001 encounter, while other emails show that Paterno was closely following allegations made against Sandusky as far back as 1998. At a news conference, the head investigator called the officials' disregard for these child victims callous and shocking. Sandusky is awaiting now sentencing after being convicted last month on 45 criminal counts of abusing 10 boys. Joe Paterno, of course, died of lung cancer in January, two months after school trustees had fired him for what they called a failure of leadership. I always thought he knew. To what extent that was the only question said Brad Benson, who's a former Penn State offensive lineman who recently won a Super Bowl with the New York Giants. I thought that anyone who didn't think he knew was pretty naive. Joe knew pretty much everything going on there. However, for those closest to Penn State and Coach Paterno, their faith in the coach remains unshakable. 
They believe Paterno, though not perfect, is being made a scapegoat with no way to refute the accusations. Paterno had planned to cooperate with the investigation, but died before he could give his report, his account of what had happened. It's easy to vilify or blame someone who's not alive to defend himself, said Tim Sweeney, who is the president of Penn State's official football letterman's club. This is a story that is so big around our country, but it's even bigger in Pennsylvania, where Penn State was held up as this ideal institution. Their football program specifically, because Coach Paterno did things the right way, recruited the right way, taught the right way to his students, to his football players. And now all of that is up for question. And people are coming out and saying, this is the story. This is what really happened. And then a month later, someone else says, no, this is what happened. And then a month later, someone else says, no, this is what happened. And it's hard to even know what really is happening or what happened or what's going on. You know, it's hard to live in a world where there is no trust and there is no truth, right? It's hard to live in a world without trust and without truth. That's why we're in the middle of a series on the Ten Commandments. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. If you need a Bible, if you didn't bring one today, raise your hand. Our ushers will gladly give you one because you'll want to follow along. We're going to look at numbers of scriptures today. But we're going to start here in Exodus chapter 20, the second book of the Bible, right after Genesis. And verse 16, we're on the ninth commandment. Ninth commandment. Now, as way of uh, background for the Ten Commandments, let me remind you guys that uh, God was helping to establish this nation of Israel. These people who had been living in the nation or the country of Egypt and had been there for over 400 years as slaves and everything was dictated them to do, right? When to wake up, when to go to bed, when to work, what job they're going to have, when to take a break, how long to keep working, how much they had to work. All that stuff was dictated to them as slaves in the nation of Egypt. And so as they're coming out of that and they're beginning this this brand new fledgling nation of Israel, God is giving them laws, giving them commandments to help guide their society, to help bring about some order and justice for them as a people. And so that is what these Ten Commandments are about. They are now freed people, which is wonderful, but we all know that free people are not really free to do whatever you want, right? We have seen what happens when people think that they are above the law or above any rules. We know that from that story at Penn State. It's not good. We know that from our own lives. It's not good. So in giving the Ten Commandments, God demonstrated his great love for his people and his great wisdom as well. God lays out one of the most important principles for any society in commandment number nine, which is what we're looking at today. Let's stand up and let's read it together. Just one verse. Be real quick and you can sit right back down. Exodus 20, verse 16. We'll read together. One, two, three, read. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Have a seat. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. False testimony. Let me repeat what I said earlier. It is hard to live in a world 
without trust and without truth. God knew that. And so if these free people were really free to do whatever they wanted and they had no rules and they could make up the truth as they went along, they would have chaos. They would have a mess on their hands. Out of love, God gave us those commands to guide them, their lives and their society. Without those commandments, without God's law, we would disintegrate really fast, wouldn't we as a people? Specifically, God gave us commandment number nine to create trust between individuals where we can believe what each other says because as a people of God, we are people of our word. And so when we say something, you can trust it. You can believe it because we need that to sustain relationships. If we can't trust each other, if we can't believe each other, then we have no relationship. It breaks down. Let's break down this verse to see what these words really mean. The words giving a false testimony specifically mean, literally, lying in court. God knew that the Israelites needed a justice system that was incorruptible if they were going to exist as a people. And so one of the Ten Commandments was, you cannot lie. We have to rely on your word in court. But whether you're talking in public, in court, or whether you're talking in private, just one person, we need to be people who tell the truth. The same principle applies to us, even in our personal lives. Giving false testimony, of course, covers creating falsehood or lying. But it also includes some other things that we sometimes want to not think it includes. For instance, when we give false testimony, that may include us leaving something out of a story that we're sharing with someone. It might be telling a half-truth. It might be simply twisting the facts to make our point or our view or ourselves look better. It also includes spreading lies about other people. Gossiping is creating falsehood against your neighbor talking about someone behind their back. That is against commandment number nine. Whether it's behind their back or whether it's on Facebook or whether it is uh, through texting, we are so, so quick to hurt people with our words. And can I just insert just a real quick thought for those of you who are on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, you don't need to pay attention, okay? But if you're on Facebook, I just want to share something with you. When you write on someone's wall, Other people can read that, okay? So when you confront someone in love on their wall, you're not really doing it in love. Confronting in love is private. It's to help that person. So writing on someone's wall where other people can read, that's not confronting someone in love. That's called sin. And and you probably didn't know that's how Facebook worked. That's why I'm explaining it to you today, okay? <laughs> Facebook 101, all right? Okay, now, now we got that. Now, giving false testimony obviously encompasses quite a bit, doesn't it? Right? If you're not guilty of sharing false testimony against your neighbor, raise your hand. No one, right? Me neither because we've all 
hurt people with our words. We've all twisted the truth. We've all gossiped. We've all given false reports about someone or about something or about a story. We all know that we need to work on this. We know it hurts when someone does it to us, so let's not be the ones doing the hurting. We're gonna talk about this today. I wanna give you guys three thoughts here from commandment number nine, Exodus 20, 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Three thoughts. Here's the first one. Number one, trust is the foundation of every relationship. The reason God talks about this in one of his big 10, the top 10 commandments that he gives is that trust is the foundation of every relationship that you have, right? Every single one. It would be easy to simply stand up here today and for me to read this verse and then to say, God says in the Bible, do not lie. Let's pray and go home, right? Lots of you would be thinking, yes, that is finally a sermon that I understand, right? That's a preacher that I like. 30 seconds and he's done. We can get out of here. Man, I want to come back next week, right? That's what you're thinking. But it's not that simple, right? It's, It's more complex than just don't lie, Let's pray and go home. That's why our hearts are tugged by the Penn State story because when trust is lost, it causes lots of damage. We know that when I lose trust in someone, it damages my relationship with them. Whether they did something that I don't trust them or I did something that they can't trust me, it hurts, it causes damage. Trust is the foundation of every relationship. Flip to Proverbs chapter 27. The wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, had a proverb, several proverbs about lying. We're going to take a look at one of them. Proverbs 27, verse 6. says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You can't believe what a person tells you if you can't trust them, right? Trust is the foundation of every relationship. And so you can't believe what someone tells you if you can't trust them. So even when a person is multiplying their kisses, in other words, they're flattering you, they're telling you what you want to hear, they're telling you kind things... You can't believe them if they're not people that are people of trust. The opposite is true. You can believe or trust a friend, someone that you can trust, even when they're telling you the hard truth, right? Even a wound from a friend is something that's a good thing because we trust them. We, ha- we know they have our, our good at heart. We can trust what they say. It's like when I said to my boys yesterday, man, guys, I love you too much to let you wear that outside our house, <laughs> right? I don't care what you say. That doesn't match, right? I'm probably more worried about my reputation than theirs. That's a selfish thing. I know that. But still, telling them the truth and love, they can trust me. I have their best interests at heart, right? We trust what our friends tell us if we know we can trust them. When God gave the Ten Commandments, partly to guide this young nation into existence, he gave this principle of telling the truth because it's so foundational to every relationship. Our relationship and the closeness of our relationship only will go as far as we can trust each other. If I can't trust 
you, our relationship, our friendship cannot grow. And the level that I trust you is the level of closeness that I'll have in my friendship with you. I can't be a good employee if the people who are in charge of my company can't trust me. I'll never work my way up the ladder, so to speak, if they can't trust me that I'm a person of my word. And the same is true the other way as well. If I'm the employer, I can't expect respect. I can't expect loyalty if those who work for me can't trust me. If I'm not a person of my word. If I'm not someone that can be trusted. It affects every relationship from work to personal as well. Jesus talks about this too in the, in the New Testament. He's telling a story, a parable about people who are working. And he comes to the end of it. And let's take a look at that. Luke chapter 16. He summarizes this story. Luke's in the New Testament. It's the third gospel. which talks about the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 16. He's telling about this, this, these guys who work hard and make the most of the responsibility that they have. And he comes to the end of it to verse 10 and he explains it. Luke 16, verse 10, says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with what? Much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If we can't handle our money and be responsible with it, then how will we be trusted with things that are really important? Like relationships and people, eternal things. If I'm trusted in a little bit, I'll gain more trust. That principle is true in relationships, right? If we're new friends and I prove myself that I'm trustworthy, our relationship will grow. But if I'm not trustworthy, our relationship will not grow. The people that we trust are the people that are, we're closest to. That's why there's things that, you know, Tara, my wife, is the only one who knows about me. There are certain things that only she knows because she's the one I trust the most with that information. You have friends that are the only people that you talk to about certain things. They're the only ones that you trust with that sensitive, intimate information. Your level of trust is high with them. If you are a person who spreads falsehood, if you are a person who gossips, who exaggerates, or who flat out lies, your relationships are going to be really surfacy because nobody can trust you. And people don't trust you. Maybe you've noticed that, or maybe you haven't yet. But the more trustworthy we are as people, the richer and deeper relationships we'll have. One of the statements that we hear most as pastors in our offices when we're talking and counseling with people is something like this. I don't understand why my parents just don't trust me. Or I don't understand why my wife won't trust me. Or I don't understand why my husband won't trust me. When someone says that, I usually will, will say something like this. That's a good question. I, I don't know. Can I ask you a question? And I'll say, 
Are you worthy of their trust? Are you, a, are you someone who has proven by your actions that you're worthy of them trusting you? That's a good question. See, the question that we often want to say is, I don't get it. Why don't they trust me? And the better question is, am I worthy of their trust? Am I a person who is trustworthy? And what can I do in my life to build trust with people? How can I repair trust if I have broken it? And what am I doing to make sure that I don't break it again? That trust is the foundation of every relationship. God talks about it in one of his 10 commandments to the people of Israel. That's why it was so critical. That's the first thought that I want you to consider today, how important trust is to every relationship. Here's the second thought that I want you to think about. Number two, the opposite of false testimony is encouraging words. Think about that. The opposite of false testimony is encouraging words. Remember we said earlier that giving false testimony includes leaving something out of a story, telling half-truths, twisting the facts, gossiping. Bearing false witness or giving false testimony is causing someone unjust injury with our words. It's unjust. It's not deserved. That's bearing false testimony. And so the opposite of that, where God says, don't bear false testimony, don't give false testimony about your neighbor, about someone else. That's the negative way of saying it. The positive way of saying it, if you would have said it this way, is instead, use your words to encourage people. And he actually does say that in other places in the scripture. We're going to look at one here in a second. So the opposite of false testimony is encouraging words. Turn back to Proverbs 25. Let's take a look at another proverb from the wisest man, Solomon. He gives us some word pictures here about a person who spreads false testimony. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 18. Proverbs 25, 18 says, Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is the man who gives false testimony against his neighbor. He gives us some word pictures there. He says a club, a sword, a sharp arrow. Now he's not talking about, you know, a club like club, okay? I'm not sure what that has to do with false testimony, Okay. I don't know where I, where I would ever work that into a sermon, so I had to use it right there, okay? <laughs> that little noise I can do. We understand, though, what he means, right? A sword, a knife in the back is a person who shares false testimony against me. An arrow through the heart. We get those word pictures. We understand the power and the gravity of our words. We can really do damage with our mouths, right? When we were born, we were born packing heat, right? Some of us, for whatever reason, were giving a small pistol. And others of us, it seems, were born with a grenade launcher. But all of us have the power to hurt people with our words. We're packing heat. However, our words don't have to hurt people. We have 
the power through the Holy Spirit to have control of our mouths. Do you know that? We can use our mouths for good to build trust with people. Flip to the New Testament. I want to look at a passage of scripture that is so important in Ephesians. So important to how we use our mouths when it comes to building trust. The opposite of false testimony is encouraging words. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4 and we'll start reading in verse 22. Let me tell you that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. He had been a busy man. He had traveled literally all over the known world and had planted churches and cities all over the world. He was a missionary, spreading God's love, spreading God's word, the gospel, and was starting new churches all over the world. He was so busy. And then he came to a point in his life where he was uh, in jail. He had been in prison for, for telling people about Jesus. It was changing the city. It was changing the world. And not everybody liked it. And so he was put in prison. And here he is sitting in jail. And he has a chance to sort of reflect on all that God has done through his years of ministry. 30 plus years of ministry that he was planting churches and doing work. And he writes these set of books here. Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians. These books here in the New Testament. And here in Ephesians, he's describing the beauty of the church. And he talks about all these awesome things that he had been reflecting on. And he comes up, talked about relationships here in Ephesians 4. He goes on then in 5, of course, to talk about husbands and wives and parents and all kinds of relationships. But here in Ephesians 4, verse 22, I want to pick it up, where he begins to talk about our mouths. He's done some reflecting on his years of ministry, and he's learned this. Verse 22 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pause. So, as believers in Jesus... We can take off this old person, that person that was packing heat with our mouths, that person that was putting people down, hurting people, gossiping, lying. We can take off that person and put on this new one, Christ, who dwells in us and will come through us if we let him lead our lives. We are to put on this new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Listen, we can change. We are not helpless. With Christ's help, we can change. And look at verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Paul repeats the command right here, commandment number nine. Put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor. And the reason he gives is for we are all members of one body. The relationships that we have here in the church, we are all connected together. We are one, one body with Christ being the head. We are one. And he says, don't lie to each other. Don't, don't, don't divide the church with your lies, with your gossip, with your half-truths, with your twisting the facts. Don't make that a part of your church. You know, that's why we, our members actually sign a covenant they sign a commitment that they will not gossip. They will not hurt people with their words. It's so important 
to Paul. He writes about it here in Ephesians chapter four. Put off falsehood. And the reason is because when we're hurting, when we lie, we hurt our own body. We hurt ourselves. And then in verse 29, look down there. He gives us instruction on how to use our mouths. Okay, so don't speak falsehood. Here's what you should do. Verse 29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, what's the word? Benefit those who listen. And so we're not just supposed to walk around and not say anything. We're not just to make sure that we don't hurt people. We just walk around and not talk. No, God did give us our mouths for a reason. And it is to encourage people. Underline some words there in that verse that, I, that you need to focus on. Verse 29, Ephesians 4. Underline helpful. Our words are supposed to be helpful. Underline the phrase building others up. Our words are supposed to build others up. And then finally, underline the word benefit. That is the key. Our words are supposed to Build others up, be helpful, and benefit them. Is that the grid, the criteria that you use before you open your mouth? Is what I'm about to say, is it going to be helpful? Is it going to be beneficial to the person I'm saying it to? Is it going to build them up? If it's not, don't say it. That's what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 4. I had this advisor in college. Her name was Cheryl Fawcett. And she was, uh, has been, still is, a mentor of mine in ministry, in children's ministry. And I took several classes from her when I was in, in school there. She was in our, in our uh, youth ministry, children's ministry department. And um, one time she was in charge of this national conference. She was on the team that was planning this conference for children's pastors and children's directors from around the country that were all coming there to be a part of this conference to learn about ministry. And she comes up to me after class one day before that, and she says, John, I, I, I know that you're a good planner. I'd like you to help me plan some of this conference. And then I'd like to steal some of your ideas. I want to see what you would do. And then I want to steal your ideas. Do you know what that did for me as a student? I was her student. Did she really need my help? Probably not. Did I give her some good ideas? Looking back, not really. Do you know what she did for my confidence, though? She said, I think you're a good planner. I'd like to get your input on this. Man. And she did that over and over and over again during my time with her. And she actually got me to believe that maybe God could use me in ministry. Maybe. Because she used her words to build me up. You guys probably know people like that. I hope you do. People that are just always, it seems like they just got this can, this never-ending can of water, and they're just always pouring it on people, building someone up, and building someone up, and building someone up. And that's like what they do. Don't you want to be that kind of person? Man, I do. I want to be that kind of person where people say, man, John, I remember when he said this to me and the difference that it made in my life. I want God to give us a church full of those people, that we are building other people up. That's why God gave us this right here, our mouths, to build others up, to be helpful in what we say.
about a year ago, I came across an article that, uh, that, I, that I gave to our parents and kids today. I passed it along. And, and Tara and I have used it as well with our kids. This woman was writing about how she talks to her children and helping them to use kind words. Have you been around kids? They sometimes say mean things, right? And uh, man, I got some honest kids at home. And, uh, and so Tara and I were reading this article. I thought, man, this is good. We got to share this with, with, with everybody. And, and so this was really good. This lady was talking about how she talks to her kids about what they're going to say to other people. And she gives them three questions, three criteria that she wants them to ask themselves before they say something. I want to give those to you today because I think they're really good, not just for kids, but for us too. And here are the three questions that she says. Number one, if you're going to say something, first ask yourself this, is it true? Right? Because if it's not true, then don't say it. But the second question that she says is really important is, is it necessary? Because sometimes we want to say things that might be true, but maybe they're not really necessary to say to a person. Right? You guys know someone that sometimes talks like that? Well, that's true what you said, but I don't know if you really had to say it. Like, I'm not sure that was necessary. And the third criteria that she gives her kids is, is it kind? Because sometimes there are things that are true and they are necessary for us to say, but then we have to ask ourselves, am I going to say it in a kind way? And so, man, we'll often ask our kids when I hear them talking to each other, guys, was that, was that true what you said? Well, yeah. Well, was it necessary? Well, maybe not. Or well, was, did you say it in a kind way? Sort of. No, I don't know. That's usually what they say. <laughs> I don't know, Dad. Uh, yeah, you do. Was it kind? Was it necessary? Was it true? How many would like to be a part of a family? How many would like to be a part of a work environment? How many would like to be a part of a church where that's the way we talk to each other? Listen, we can. We can put off the old self, put on the new self. And at least within this community right here, we're going to treat each other with grace, with our words. We're not going to spread falsehood about each other. We're not going to gossip. We're going to build each other up. We're going to let our mouths be used to help and benefit one another. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? So the first thought that we need to think about and consider today is that trust is the foundation for every relationship. The second one is that the opposite of false testimony is encouraging words. And here's, I have one more thought that I want to share today. As I've been sitting back and listening to these messages that Jim and, and Rich have been preaching on the Ten Commandments, you know what? I have been reminded over and over why God gave the Israelites and why he gave us the Old Testament, the law, the Ten Commandments. I mentioned earlier in Exodus that uh, this was a new nation that was being formed and they needed the law to help shape their nation and their society for all the reasons I've already you know, stated and talked about. However, that was not the only reason that God gave them the law. In fact, that wasn't the main reason that God gave them the law. One of the most powerful passages of Scripture comes from the book of Romans. And I want to turn there with you. Romans chapter 3. And I want to show you why God gave us the law. Why God gave us the Ten Commandments. 
because I've been reminded of this over and over as I've heard these messages. Romans chapter 3 is an incredible chapter. Paul, again, is writing. He's giving his greatest theological work on the grace and the justice of God and how he works them together and how God can be both just and both gracious. And here in Romans chapter 3, verse 19, we'll read where it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. God gave us the law. God gave us the Ten Commandments to show us that we couldn't keep them. God showed us that we can't keep them. Through the commands, it says, we are made conscious of our sin. We realize, wait a second, I got a problem. Because if there's no law that we break, we don't realize that we are, that there's something wrong with us, that we're broken. God gave us the law to show us you can't keep the standard. If that's the standard, you know, I'm out. I can't keep it. If that's what you're thinking through this Ten Commandments series, man, I can't, I can't do it. That's the point. That's the point. That's why God gave us the Ten Commandments. To show us we can't do it. We can't keep his commands. We need a Savior. Jesus Christ. That's why we hurt people with our mouths. That's why we spread falsehood. That's why we murder people with our mouths, Jim talked about earlier. That's why we commit adultery in our hearts. That's why we do all those things. We can't keep the law. We can't be made righteous, it says, right? Verse 20, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. The law is only good for showing us that we need God's grace. And so over and over as I'm listening to these messages, I'm remembering that every commandment highlights our desperate need for Jesus. Every commandment highlights our desperate need for Jesus. How many of our hands went up when I said earlier, or how many of us thought to ourselves when I said earlier, or asked earlier, how many of you ever created falsehood or spoke falsehood against your neighbor? All of us said yes. Yeah, we have. Because all of us are guilty. Because none of us can keep these commands without a righteous and a gracious Savior. I am so glad for the law. Because it shows me and it reminds me of my great need for grace. It shows me how wretched I am. How sinful, how hurtful I really am. And none of us in this room or any room in this building today is worthy of heaven, is worthy of being right with God without Jesus's blood shed for us. That is it. His grace that he offers to us. We can't keep the law without him. And so our 
response to this commandment today and to all these commands is to fall on our knees and say, God, help me to change. Help me to put off this old person and put on this new person, this righteous person, Christ dwelling inside of me. Help me to live out of that when it comes to my mouth. Help me to build trust with my words. Help me to be a person of integrity who says the truth, who speaks the truth, who can be believed because you're at work inside of me. God, I can't change on my own. I need you to change me. That should be our response today. God, change us. Change my words so I stop hurting people and instead I build them up. Do you say what you mean? Do you follow through on what you say? Are you a person worthy of trust? And What are you doing to build trust with others through your actions and through your words? It is hard to live in a world. It is hard to live in a relationship without trust and without truth. We must be people who tell the truth. Let's run to Jesus and ask him to change us. In closing, let me summarize and say it quickly this way. The Bible says, don't lie. Let's pray and go home. Jesus, we're reminded again of our great need for a savior. And Jesus, like your disciples said to you, we say to you today, only you have the words of eternal life. Only you can change our hearts. Only you can change the way we use our mouths. Only you can help us to become the person that you want us to be. Only you. And so we offer our mouths to you We say, God, you're in charge. Use us, change us, shape us, break us so that we can be like your son, Jesus. God, I pray that we would be a community of grace, a community where we speak the truth to each other and we put off falsehood. We put off lying and gossip and all those things that would tear down relationships. And instead, We want to build others up. Jesus, with your help, we can do that. We can become that. And we look forward to the victories that you're going to give in the lives of those who would turn to you and trust you today. We love you because you first loved us. Go with us today as we leave from here, as we walk. Lord, help us to be on mission. Help us to be looking for those who need your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next Sunday.